This is Jerry Mason, the Kicking Lawyer, and I'm inviting everyone to join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on the Kicking Lawyer fan page on Facebook for Law Talk Live, where we discuss business, politics, current events, and the law. If you miss the live version, you can watch the playback on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast platform. So we had some technical difficulties. If anybody was watching earlier, I apologize, but I think we've got them fixed now. Uh, if you do get on this, uh, and I'll wait a few minutes to ask, but okay, I see somebody on. If you're on and you can hear us, let us know. We were on there for like 30 minutes, and we were literally discussing how to solve all of the world's problems, and then we'd find out like 20-something minutes in that you, you guys couldn't hear us. So <laughs> anyway, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're on TikTok. The Covington Comic Con is returning to Covington August 20th and 21st. Tickets are available now for sale at the law firm, and then next week it'll be the law firm and at Theo and Rose. Love to have you guys come out. It's a lot of cool events with that. Of course, uh, our longtime sponsor and friend, Michelle Allen. She's your go-to realtor. If you're buying, selling, renting real estate in the area, she can help you out. If you'd like to become a kicking law yourself, visit Mason's High Team Martial Arts. It's been in Covington since 93, making champions and kicking lawyers alike. We're glad to have you guys there. I will be at the Cellar Restaurant and Prohibition Bar tonight at 6.30 to do trivia. Of course, you can come in. It opens every day at 4, and there's all kinds of different events. There's live music this weekend, but hopefully I'll see some of you guys tonight at trivia. And, of course, Masonite Digital Marketing will help you if you need uh, help with your online presence, social media marketing, all that good stuff. Now, again, joining me is Mr. Brian Holland, who is an attorney and a new attorney with our firm, Huffman Mason Attorneys, here in, in Covington and in Somerville. And, uh, Brian, again, I'm glad to have you. Absolutely. And it's we a had, great second appearance. <laughs> I know. We had, we had this, like, the greatest conversation ever for the last 26 minutes, and then we find out that uh, it wasn't wasn't broadcasting any sound didn't record any sound so again for those who stuck with us for that those few minutes i apologize well, what's weird is we had a couple of people who were in there the entire time i guess they well, just like looking at y'all thank you to <laughs> those few and the two worst days in human history the day when the library of alexandria burned mm -hmm. and august 2nd 2020 when they where, didn't uh, get your we were talking about so many important things we were world hunger had been <laughs> solved cancer yeah it all was conflict it was literally a nerd fest between us talking about sci-fi books and movies and stuff uh, but it was some good stuff. Uh, and then also Brian had told us kind of how he got into law and stuff like that. But we'll re we can rehash a few things. Absolutely. All right. So we, we were talking about sci-fi books and whatnot. But let's shift to like history stuff. Sure. Because you said you read uh, uh, nonfiction also. What era do you want to talk about? Well, I just, whatever. What's your, what's your go-to? Or do you rotate? I do rotate. Because I mean, I am. you know, seventh grade, you wore World War II out. Eighth grade, you wore the Civil War out. Tenth grade, you go, well, World War One will be fun. And then uh, you get to college, and that's when you lose most of them. Mm -hmm. You start having to take college history courses. But, uh, oh, man, I, I went all over on that, too. I took History of Civilizations and Sailing. which and was Sailing? Yes. I had a professor. Very important, though, on the growth and development was. of this, society. This professor owned a just a little catamaran down at the Ross Barnett Reservoir in Jackson, mm -hmm. and he wanted an excuse to sail it. So he pitched this idea to the school, and he got some upper-level history students to get on board with it. And we did legitimately study the Carthaginians, the Phoenicians, uh, the Vikings, the spread of civilization, how it develops near the water, how the ocean plays. 
and then we would spend half of our class time out on the reservoir on catamarans. Sweet. That sounds like a good excuse it to get on the water. It was great. And it just taught me mostly how to sail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's good. I don't know how to sail. It, that, uh, not a lot of history, but it did teach me that there is no era where you cannot find some fun stuff to learn. Yeah, yeah. So I have bounced all over the place. I've gone through um, the American Revolutionary period. There was a long time, and I still circle back to that. I'm very interested in that time span. And then ancient history, like the Greeks, the Romans, and then sort of a focus on the Spartans. And okay, so we got like the mid-modern, post-Bronze Age history. Yeah, yeah. Any, and uh, then, any Gilgamesh? Uh, uh, so I got I got a little bit into uh, some like Scandinavian history. I've gotten a little bit into some some Middle Eastern history, but like not a lot of Sumerian, Mesopotamia. Not that, no, I don't really. I haven't really gone that far back on most of what I what I personally researched. I did. I do. I have gone bef- further than that, like on early man, like yes. like the development of that. But then, like some of those early cultures, no, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I haven't they, they didn't leave a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. Now my wife's big on those. She has these theories, and she don't like me bringing this stuff up because it makes her sound kind of weird but it's, it is what it is but she does she believes that there have been ancient civilizations that were more advanced than our civilization and just through eons of time there are been, very biodegradable plastics it may be yeah it may be that they just don't exist anymore but you know and they have found you know cities and stuff that in right. just a few hundred years have been overtaken by the jungle and things so i guess there's some evidence of that but I mean, I don't know that they were flying around in spaceships and stuff, you know. Yeah, but I mean, there there are multiple periods of history, especially in the Fertile Crescent, where you had a civilization that was almost to the scale of a Carthage or an early Rome that mm-hmm. was wiped out by the next one. You had the, uh, oh, let's see, the uh, Byzantine, no, not Byzantines. Well, you, you were just the, talking about when the the uh, uh, library, the Library of Alexandria, when it was burned down. Supposedly, there were just all kinds of you know, documents, secrets, yes. uh, things that were lost. I mean, to that time. was apparently where almost all of known writing had mm-hmm. been culminated to that point. Yeah, and uh, you know, backups are not a not a common thing, unfortunately. So more no more recently, I started reading. It kind of initially started with reading like uh, old West sort of stuff. Like I read uh, some Louis Lamore. No, what is the name of that book? Um, it's about the cha- the uh, Comanches. It's really good. It's really good. It's about a, a, I can't think of the guy's name, but it's a really good book. It details basically the last stand of the Comanches in the Old West. But that ended up leading me to reading about the samurai in the 1600s and 1700s. Oh, because yeah. they, I was big into that anyway because of martial arts. And a great Tom Cruise movie. But yeah, yeah. Well, but so like I got real deep. Recently, I've been real deep in like what were the samurai really like. Yes. And so what I found was actually uh, disappointing. They they were originally prior to like the 1600s. They were just warriors, like, and they were kind of crude warriors too. Yes. You know, they were. I mean, they were your enforcers. Yeah, yeah. They weren't all philosophical and these this duty and honor and loyalty that developed out of necessity to try to prove why they should stay in some ra- uh, rank class file. Rank, rank in class above other people yes. is to show that they, you know, they were full of honor and they had these this code and all that kind of stuff. It is really interesting how European culture and Eastern culture developed those organically almost separate from each other. The yeah. knight class and the samurai class and the feudal system. It's almost like it was kind of pre-programmed for us, like yeah. a natural idea. 
That's another thing I've read a lot on is medieval history in Europe and then uh, Vikings, specifically yes. or, Vikings. Or how we have pyramids on complete opposite sides of the planet yes. <laughs> for some reason. Well, that's also, though, a very stable structure. Yeah, I mean, it, You know, so, I mean, if you're building stuff and math is math, I don't know about the arguments that we got. They had some communication because of where they're located. Well, I'm still waiting on that 2013 calendar. Mm-hmm. issue to drop but uh well you know every year they re they readjust that to be like well it was really this calendar they should have used those mayans just now were coming smart up man it. that's convenient yeah well that's you know modern humans you're going to twist the facts to fit your narrative absolutely that's what a lot of people do now How yeah do you prove a point otherwise yeah uh so what are, what are you reading right now anything particular let's see right now there is a james rollins series that i've been working my way through he does um historical fictions uh takes actual historical events and then kind of gives them that paranormal or science fictiony twist to them um i call it my light reading mm-hmm. i turn my brain off and read stuff yeah in terms of history i tried picking up the 700 page douglas MacArthur biography that i had to read for school because mm-hmm. i wanted to dip back into him he's a very interesting character but uh, that was a little more than I felt like doing in my free time I just finished uh, Miracle Morning a book it's real short uh, but it was I read it on the plane when we were doing San Diego but it was talking about how you can change your life if you just get up an hour earlier and then it grows into these steps you do in the morning to have a more productive life. I, so I read a lot of that kind of stuff. I read business books, mm-hmm. and then I, I mostly read his, history. And it's mostly uh, nonfiction. I don't read a whole lot of, uh, like we were talking, that's how we got on the tangent, is I was th- trying to think of the last nonfiction book that I had read, and um, it was uh, 1984. And then we got to talking about uh, Dune. and Which, I don't know, that might be a little more fiction than nonfiction, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it kind of goes right along in, in lines with things. I know I did just, let me see what you think about this. And I don't know if anybody that's watching is, some of you watch me on Kicking Lawyers, some of you are my Facebook friend or whatever. But I made a post a couple days ago that has had a ton of uh, comments, which has led me to think that maybe I need to have some of these people on that are making all these comments to discuss it. But what I basically said, I posted a picture of two books that I started reading. Okay. One was on uh, the rise of Putin in Russia. And the other one was on, um, it's what is, a, what is a Woman, I forget the name of the book, but it's the book that goes along with the documentary that everybody's watching. The Matt on. Walsh book. I yeah, it's a Matt Walsh book. So I didn't, I didn't see the documentary, but I got the book. So here was my problem. The problem wasn't the fact, the, the, the subject matter of each book. The problem was both books were biased. As soon as I started reading the Putin book, he, the guy was immediately crapping all over Donald Trump, that Putin was all Donald Trump. Even though Putin's been in power since 99, potentially longer unofficially, uh, but it's Donald Trump's fault. And I'm like, no. And then the other book was basically immediately dogging on anybody that even asked the question, what is a woman? You know. And my point in reading the book wasn't that I agree that people could be trans or whatever. My point was I like to understand why people think those things or think right. differently than me. And I wanted hard information on it. And I thought it would maybe do like an unbiased view would and compare the two sides, right? And instead, it was just one that was crapping on the other side, which, you know, it's fine. I think that's how the book was supposed to be. But, but my, my point was, and what caused a lot of the controversy, was that I said that I wanted information to just, I wanted the information. You know, I want to be trusted with the data, with the information, and then I can yes. make my own assessment of, of my own opinion in that specific subject matter. And a lot of people said they, they were recommending books that were like that and struggled with it, because we just don't get that nowadays. Well, uh... I would I would argue that really it's impossible because you have a bias no matter how much you try to fight it 
And that bias is going to show up, even if by the slightest degree, in anything you do. And I don't know if one person can put forward a completely unbiased opinion on something that's very divisive. Sure. I think that it would take a community collective effort to put forward something like that. And unfortunately, these days, especially with the way that we're engaged online, and it's a very personal one-on-one, a one on everyone engagement online, Mm -hmm. it lowers the likelihood that you could get a collective together to truly bring you unbiased information. Well, one thing I will say, because I was just thinking through what my counterpoint would be to what you said, is, you know, we've always had bias to some degree, even if it's in history where the victor is writing history, right? right? And so, but even now we're starting to uncover some truths that counter what... Conventional knowledge. Yeah, conventionally what we thought was a fact. So I, I just want the facts, and I kind of circle back to the whole Walter Cron, Cronkite. Was it Cronkite? Cronkite. Yeah, Cronkite. he was the whole. Uh, this is the story, or this the whole the, story, whatever his saying yeah. was, right? Back in the day, though, he'd give you the facts. That's what he right. gave you. He gave you the facts, and then you could make your own assessment. I guess I just don't want this, this, these, all these op eds. Right. I, I Trust mean, me with the information. And I guess my biggest beef is they don't even pretend. Like, at least in the 2010s, 2000, 2010, there was an effort to kind of mask your opinion. You still had it, mm-hmm. and you still made it known. But you would, you know, politely mask it Yeah, to a an lot extent. of the media, you know, right. like CNN. Now you, it's, you would this try to is turn my to opinion. And whether it be a Fox News, a CNN, an MS, MSNBC, or whatever outlet you choose, everyone's wearing their biases on their sleeve now. And, yeah. and it's like, at least pay it lip service. Well, and I'm not opposed to people having bias. I mean, we as lawyers deal with that a uh, lot, especially absolutely. in jury trials. Everybody's got a bias, and you've just got to help point that out and hope that it doesn't cloud their judgment. But at the same time, there has to be facts, too. You know, there's facts on both sides. Right. It's either this way or it's that way. And I think, I'm curious when you, as you went through law school, because you went a little later than I did, one of the problems that I had in law school was, and of course, keep in mind, I'm older than you are, and I've been a cop a long time, and so I was, I was, I knew I was biased going in. But because of that, like, it seemed very left slanted to me in law school. And I will say, so I had the, uh, please, no one take this wrong, I had the privilege of watching uh, President Donald Trump be elected my last year of law school mm-hmm. and watching the meltdown of academia live. Um, <laughs> nice. And uh, I have to say that unanimously, my professors were very uh, displeased with the outcome of the election. And I think that that is just a hallmark of academia these days. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of always been that way. It has. Yeah, but you would like to think that our smartest people are our most open you know, yes. to other inform- to new information. Well, unfortunately, what I've learned in higher education, um, especially on the educator's side, mm-hmm. is that it is a game, and it's a political game like anything else. And regardless of your political ideology, the cream doesn't really rise to the top a lot in academia these days. It feels like there are too many roadblocks in place for really good teachers to get tenure or to get to the tenure track mm-hmm. because they're a little too invested and, in, you know, Colleges are not charities. They're not nonprofits. Let's be real. Even your state colleges are a for-profit entity to an extent. And if you're not helping the bottom line, you're not moving ahead. Yeah. And I think that's really doing our academic education in the United States a disservice. I'm just surprised by how many um, left-leaning, sort of liberal-minded colleges are out there in areas that are still conservative. 
politically. I, I attended a Baptist uh, Christian college in Jackson, Mississippi, and I had a conservative political science professor, and then um, most of the other humanities professors were liberal-leaning. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's kind of a hallmark of academia, regardless of school location mm-hmm. or school type. I mean, I went to Dyersburg State Community College right here in Tipton County. I went to the Jimmy Nafee Center, and I had several professors that were very liberal, and that's kind of surprising because I mean, we're in Tipton County. <laughs> you know, well, and, and I, I try to not knock, you know, whether you're uh, left leaning or right leaning. It's more the facts to me. I mean, I've been very vocal about that, and. To some degree, to my own detriment, I think, because I'm very open about how I stand politically. Uh, but I'm open to people having different opinions. It's like Absolutely. this this whole what is a woman thing from that documentary. Even on the post that I made, there was a couple of guys, that, and I know them real well. They're good people. And they, were, they weren't really attacking me, but they were indirectly... They're being passive aggressive. They were like, if you have to ask, it's Their sensibilities have been offended somewhat. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like... I get that that's the opinion of people, but there are people that think this other way. Well, and, and it, so why do you think this other way? I want to understand that because they're not idiots. I, right. I don't think that the, I mean, there's clearly plenty of idiots in the world, right? I mean, we represent some of them. But my uh, my point was, I, I want to understand the reasoning, how they get to, we have the same information in front of us, but they see this and then I see this. You know what I mean? And I think there's like a, few core fundamental beliefs people have that I think are the real litmus test. Um, the one that I've found to be really consistent is whether they say the truth or your truth. Oh, okay, because then it's subjective or objective. Right, mm-hmm. and that changes how I know their outlook on things are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because this whole what is a woman argument, the legal field, for everyone else listening, this is an interesting thing for us because there are so many factors at play that are going to affect things that you would never even think about um be it some kind of archaic things we have in divorce where we still have a very sexist system in some aspects tennessee especially tennessee especially um so i mean as an intellectual i'm very interested to see how this plays out because i want to know uh you know, how the law is going to logically reason through some of these, because that's our job, right? Yeah. Is to the core, it's supposed to be to logically reason out problems and find the most Well, and I answer. think that's where some people hit the roadblock, because especially in the Bible Belt here, a lot of people base their um, sort of their life compass and what they feel about issues that maybe aren't religious, but they base it on religion. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I just, we are probably very similar in that it's a very logic-based, how do I reason this based right. on, and then and then similarly in law school, you you learn to argue both sides and to value both sides. Because right. if your argument is whatever it is, whatever you believe, you know, you say Santa Claus wears a red suit and somebody else says he wears a white suit. Well, you have to be understand why they argue what they argue to either support your argument or attack their argument. I think the one of the biggest things law school teaches you is to learn to not be offended by opinions. Yeah. Yeah, is let people have their own opinion. And it doesn't mean we can't be friends. Right. I have several people right now that I'm very close to that don't agree with me on a whole lot of fundamental issues. I mean, even to the point of atheists and things. You right, can still but, be friends. And you can learn from them and vice versa. But I guess like things on like abortion and issues like that, I analyze them from a legal perspective. And I think, and part of the reason is, in any argument, you know, whether it's religious folks, that's their driving force, or, you know, it's non-religious folks, so they're just focused on, like, women's rights or whatever. 
I think if you use a law-based logic argument, it, help, it, it can help both of them come to the table. Right. Instead of, if I immediately start with, well, God says, da-da-da, and that's not your stance, now I've completely alienated you. Right. I, I mean, it, a lot of it, you people have lost the ability, and I think this is across the board, being able to be politely persuasive is, is just a lost art gone, yeah. disappeared. I don't like, know, y- y'all, I really like this idea, though, that we've come into this new age now where everybody can just kind of say or be whatever they want. Like, for example, um, I think y'all heard this past week that the Biden administration redefined what a recession is. So recession used to be, you know, dut, dut, dut. Two consecutive and now, quarters. And right. now it's whatever. And now it it's whatever be. it needs to be to suit their agenda. So I made the decision. I like this idea. I think it's a great idea. I think he's a great president making this decision. So I decided that I'm going to identify as a multi-millionaire. And I'm going to need everyone because I'm going to redefine what a millionaire is to what I am. And the IRS and need, is going to do that too. Yeah, but see, I can also redefine the tax brackets though. Yes. So because, I mean, if we can redefine the definition of recession, I can redefine what a millionaire is to suit me. And Look, as a lawyer, it's, it's oh, I mean, this yeah. is just open season now. You can literally never commit we a crime. We can just be well, whatever we I, want, uh, guys. I actually respect <laughs> that, you know, Biden didn't come up with that. But whoever came up, did. whoever come up with that, I think it's smart. Yeah. Move because, the goalpost yes. anytime you can. If you're losing, move the goalpost. And he does. But I mean, and that's every administration has done that to some extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's, a Republican Democrat thing. We like to, if we don't like who's in power, mm-hmm. like them, we ignore it or change the narrative. It. But, Moving the goalposts is just the best way to win an argument because all I did need to do is just kick that can down the road until I get favorable <laughs> conditions. Yeah, I do. I do think it strikes to a larger argument though on are there absolute truths? Because if you redefine things like that that have pretty much been standard for so long, now there's an argument of well, is what's an absolute truth? Well, you know, you let's know? get even deeper than that. I mean. If you want to get into string theory and quantum physics, then everything is both true and not true simultaneously, yeah, yeah. and uh, nothing exists. Is the cat is alive and dead at the same time? Yeah. Uh, Schrodinger's cat, yeah, paradox. Yeah. I used to read that. So, so believe it or not, I wanted to be. We were talking before uh, the sound didn't work on what you if you always wanted to be a lawyer and things. So, and I don't know that I've told people this, but I wanted to be an astrophysicist growing up. That was my goal. I like wanted, Sheldon Bing Bang Theory? Yeah, like, I read Stephen Hawking. I read uh, everything Einstein did. I read whatever I could get my hands on. I loved the theoretical physics stuff. The problem I found is as I got a little older, I just did not have the aptitude for math. Right. Just couldn't do the math. And so I realized in high school that maybe astrophysics was not going to be the route that I get to, I'd get to go. I, I spent a little time delving into that subject, but uh, not for the same reason. It was actually because mm-hmm. we had gotten into an argument with my college roommates about gravity. Mm-hmm. Was it a theory or was it a law? And uh, I was kind of getting my butt kicked because I was a political science major. And uh-huh. that's, that was the wrong science. Yeah. So I, well, just, I think it's a law, right? It's been tested. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of you know Brian is. Did you know Brian's a physicist? The Uh, other Brian, I did not. Yeah, I became an amateur quantum physicist in order to populate the argument. We should get Brian in on that. He knows all about it. He he was a his undergrad is in physics. Oh good, then he can go over our heads in about twelve seconds. Oh yeah, no no man, you get him going down a rabbit hole. uh, He can definitely go. But yeah, I read. I was all into all that stuff. Plus, it's just kind of cool. It is the whole string theory and multi dimensions and you know wormholes and black holes and the whole deal. Anytime your Marvel movie can teach you a little something about practical physics. Mm -hmm. I mean, two birds, one stone. You're really I did listen. Right. So uh, a lot of times when I'm driving, I listen to podcasts. And I listen to, um, uh, oh, I, you know what, I can. I was just listening to it today. I, can I was going to say, what are, what are the podcasters' podcast recommendations? Yeah, well, there's really two main ones that I listen to. I listen to Joe Rogan, 
and I listened to Lex Friedman. That was Lex the one that Friedman. I was trying to think of. So Lex Friedman is a AI, I think he's really like an engineer, but he really, he's real smart on all kinds of stuff. So like he knows, he, he talks about, uh, you know, not just artificial intelligence, but space travel and if there were aliens and then philosophical stuff. And he's he was born, I don't want to butcher it, it's a Slavic nation. I'm not sure it was Russia, it might have been the Ukraine, but he was born around there. So he's fluent in he's Russian. From, from the East. Correct. And, uh, but he's an American. And so he has a really interesting perspective on just everything. Yeah. He's also a jiu-jitsu black belt. He trains in jiu-jitsu, so I can relate to him. Uh, we won't hold that against him. But but anyway, Lex Friedman's great, and he was interviewing Elon Musk. He's done it like three times, and they were talking today about space travel. And he was talking about the practicality of what Elon Musk believed on if we would ever get like warp, you know, warp drive or you could warp space and these kind of things. Right. And he was like, well... Right now, that's just not even in the wheelhouse of possibilities under physics. And so what he's focusing on is trying to get a reusable rocket that's cost-effective, that per ton is something that we can afford. Baby steps. Yeah. So you know, he didn't really even address the issue because it's, like, irrelevant to him. It, it is, I mean, it right is because the whole faster-than-light travel thing, what blew my mind recently is it dawned on me is that if you're 60,000 light years away on a planet and you point a telescope at Earth, you're going to see dinosaurs. Yeah. Because the images you see are the light that's been traveling for the last 60,000 years. Yeah. So once it dawned on me that that's how travel works in space. Well, they might not see dinosaurs, though, because they're 65 60 million years. Million. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes. you would see, Some, uh, they would see mammoths and yeah. saber-toothed tigers and stuff. Some right? hunter-gatherers, perhaps. Yeah, they'd see some naked dudes hanging out. <laughs> Maybe a loincloth if we're uh, feeling bashful. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's looking back in time. Yeah, it's yeah. almost a way to time travel. So, Which uh, uh, was at Ender's Game, where they actually wrote in the time travel paradox at the end of the book. Ender's Game. I might have read that one. Did you ever see or read Logan's Run? Logan's Run. It's where they were, uh, when they hit like 25, they get killed. They have a jewel that changes colors. It's yes, a, I, I think it was an early 70s sci-fi movie. I and then they sort of redid it in the the nineties. Uh, I think I watched the seventies version with my old man at some point. Yeah, that sounds. Well, it's, it's another interesting. There's a whole lot of sci-fi stuff out there. I tell you what, I read. Uh, uh, what was the name of that one? It was a. It was either H.G. Wells or Jules Verne novel that's not well known, but it was about uh, this vehicle they'd created. This is, of course, pre-cars or anything, This is definitely a right? Jules Verne then. Yeah, and it, was, it traveled like 60 miles an hour. And in their description of this vehicle, the, you know, I find it very interesting when you read or can see how people thought or analyzed their world at and the time. And got it right. Well, sometimes got it right, but sometimes more like why they thought this was a dragon or why they, right. you know, because their perception is based on their reality right then. Once anyway, you have an understanding. So they see this vehicle that does like 60 miles an hour and they think they it's like a so so fast that they can't even see it. Like it's like it's blur right. from their perception because nothing did 60 miles an because hour. Because you topped out at 18 when you had the good horse at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, the thought process of this guy in a vehicle that would go that fast was just phenomenal it's just interesting the way they thought about stuff back which then. i think they worked that into the league of extraordinary gentlemen they may have i haven't seen that movie in a long time well that's probably a josh favorite it's his they, job uh, i love i love the i mean they they, they took jules verne's works and they mm -hmm. just threw them all in that movie yeah he's got some really good stuff too he i does. mean i really liked it and it's even influenced people today a lot of Him modern sci-fi writers were way if, ahead of their time if i can <laughs> recommend one the mysterious island by jules verne is um 
It's connected to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, vaguely, mm. but it's its own standalone novel, and I think maybe better than anything else he wrote. Yeah, I haven't read that one. It's, uh, it's your Robinson Crusoe mixed with um, Jules Verne. Yeah. Yeah, I read a whole lot of that the, the that stuff. I read uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Time Journey Machine to the Center of the great. Earth, oh. Time Machine. Um, War of the Worlds. Yeah, War of the Worlds. There's, oh. a, there's a whole bunch. Dorian there. Gray. Journey. What was it? Uh, what was the one around the world in 80 days? Uh, Journey, Journey around, around the world. In 80 yeah, whatever days. it was. I read that one with Jackie Chan. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I saw the movie. Had Jackie Chan. So I loved it. So uh, hey, speaking of that, do you do you do when you work out martial arts anything like that? I have not seen the inside of a gym since the Bush administration. Yeah. Um, well, we thought about making that a requirement. You know that everybody here got to go. Let's see. Get I did so in college. I did take uh, intro to karate, uh-huh. and our instructor was the uh, chief of police in town. Mm-hmm. And, A, we had some classes canceled for some spectacular reasons. Uh, he apologized to us because there was a bank robbery, mm-hmm. and he had to cancel class. And we were like, that's, that's okay. Justified. <laughs> You're good. But then uh, he also just casually mentioned that when he was in the Marine Corps, he was in Chuck Norris's class. Uh, they were students together, not he taught. So they mm. had the same instructor. Oh, that's cool. So I guess you could say I am an extension of Chuck Norris. Nice. In his educational coaching tree, so to speak. So. Yeah, yeah. You have the same martial arts family tree as him, as Chuck Norris. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't, I don't know if I can, where do you go from there? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, you know, uh, there, you'd have to go to, he actually, I think, teaches in Texas now, so maybe you can go there and Yeah, go I mean, from but the once you're on the mountaintop, you know. <laughs> you can't come you off can't of come it. down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I heard Chuck Norris is actually pretty good. I've never met. I've met several of the ones that people think of when they think of like I've met Jackie Chan. You've I've met, met the uh, movie famous. I've met a lot of those. Yeah, um, which I've, I'm sure, technically speaking, are probably not the greatest. Uh, some are. World. Some you'd be surprised. You know, like, but it's different than. It, it all depends on what the goal is in martial arts. The way I look at it is, you've got people that do martial arts for the art side of it. That's the main Your focus. Your taekwondo guys. Yeah, and then you got well, no, taekwondo can be. Uh, it can be I, brutal. I used it. I used it in combat, but you you have to have a base of knowledge of reality combat to use it. If you're just doing like point sparring, point sparring doesn't necessarily mean you can fight. You know, and then you need to understand ranges of combat too. So even though you may not want to do jujitsu, you need to learn basic takedowns and defense to takedowns. Otherwise, you're going to be on the ground with your yeah, leg broken. Yeah, potentially. Right. So uh, I think that there are people that do, you know, like Tai Chi and stuff like that, Aikido, traditional karate, some of those systems that maybe aren't immediately street lethal. But then you got some people nowadays that are just focused on the martial side. They just want to do jujitsu, Krav Maga, these kind of systems that are more street systems. So like my school, what we teach, and you're welcome to come participate, is a hybrid of that. They start as a traditional martial artist. So I, what I've found, because I taught MMA for 20 years. I fought professionally, did kickboxing, MMA, the whole deal. So I know, and I was a cop and fought. Not, anyway, so I understand how, you know, you got martial arts and you got street self-defense and then you got, I got to know how to fight a knife guy, all these things that working together, right? So what I found, though, is if I take a guy or girl and, uh, or Z or whatever their pronoun is, and I teach them to do uh, just MMA stuff. So they do kickboxing and jujitsu. You know, six, eight months, they could probably defend themselves, but they don't become necessarily a lethal. better person. Well, they may be lethal, lethal but they're, they don't get life skills. They don't develop their, their self-discipline, their confidence, their self-control, oh, their I self-esteem, see. their integrity. Whereas if I take a person in traditional martial arts and they train six, eight, ten months, well, they actually lifestyle. develop, they may not be as lethal in combat, 
but they've developed skills as a human that'll being, help them as a better more complete than Correct. they were. And so then if you take them two or three years down the road, then we do give them those other tools, the actual reality combat stuff. So now I have a person that's a good person with self-control and is going to be a good citizen in life and not just try to go whip people who also can whip people. Oh, well then, so. yeah, I, you, you should never teach me anything. That's, that's the way we do it. The only reason I want to go is so that I can just break somebody's arm for fun at a party. I mean, yeah, well, that's why you need self-control. So, so I have to that. ask, if you are, and not if, because you are, you are the martial arts guy, is the scene from Indiana Jones with the whipcracker just like your least favorite scene of all time? No, I think it's cool. Okay. That's what I would do too. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just wanted to clarify. Cause no, it's actually very smart because a lot of people would be like, oh, I'm going to show this guy and whip him. But he was like, you know what? He's going to whip me. I'm just going to shoot him. Right. So, I so mean, I'm cool with it. I just, I feel bad for that guy learning that choreography for no reason. Yeah. But no, it, it was a show off. It was good. Yeah. It was so great. I used to be real biased in martial arts. In the 80s and early 90s, when you came up, you didn't do multiple systems. You were a Japanese practitioner, yes. a Korean practitioner, and you didn't like people that were outside of your well, wheelhouse. Even, even then, it seems to me like it was not even just one area but one discipline in that area yeah yeah and then it was looked down on if you tried to cross train right. back then but then the 90s with the uh, ufc coming in and then mma grant gaining prevalence in the united states people started to open their eyes and be like why am i why am i you know holding myself into this one area when right. there's so much more out there it's and then amazing. bruce lee said in a book called tayo of jeet kundo if you like reading you ought to read it. it's a philosophical book on martial arts really good it's a T-A-O, Tayo, uh, pronounced Tayo or Dayo, depending on if it's Chinese or Korean. But anyway, Tayo of Jeet Kune Do, and it's uh, sort of his uh, treatise on martial arts from his perspective. And he said there were four ranges of combat that everybody should be proficient in. And that was kicking, punching, trapping, and grappling. And so what I teach is those four plus one, we teach weapons. So we there teach you, you gun disarm, stick fighting, knife fighting, all that stuff too. Cause look, and, and I think a lot of it comes from nothing tightens up a focus like the crucible of combat mm -hmm. and mma did everyone i think a huge service because it did teach you hey if you only stick to one thing i don't care how good you are at it i only have to learn two or three things in another style and i can combat that yeah and it's taking all martial combats and i think sharpening them well i have a rule for people when they're like well i want to train this or i want to train that any system at some point you have to get punched in the face yep if they don't punch you in the face then they can't really tell you they're teaching you self-defense and stuff because you've got it it's kind of like as a cop when i was a cop when we would go through chemical weapon training pepper spray uh, they would spray us well the manufacturer said don't spray them but they and i found out when i went through the instructor portion that we were that the manufacturer said don't spray people that you don't spray till you're doing using it as a use of force right and so then you got to think, well, why do you spray the uh, the cops? Well, one, it's a rite of passage, you know. It's yeah, kinda absolutely. Like, yeah, but two, they need to know how it feels. So when it happens in the real life, they know how they're going to react to, you know, the spray in real life. So similarly, if you've never been punched in the face, you don't know how you're going to react getting punched in the face. And so I think everybody should be punched in the face. At some well, point. You know what Tyson says. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Brian Huffman just walked in. We were talking about you, Brian. Good. Yeah, what's up? No, we got to talk about physics for a little bit. And I was like, well, Brian is actually a physicist. What's your question? So, uh, String theory. No, well, one of them he said was, well, what is, uh, he said he had a debate years ago with his roommates over whether the gravity was a law or a theory. Technically, it's a law. The law of gravity. And I did That's what I said. That I thought it was a law. 9.8 meters per second per second. 
I don't know. Can you hear him, Josh? Kind of. He needs to lean in closer. Uh, here, here was my brilliant idea. That, that mic is working. I discovered that if you become an expert on quantum mechanics, that you're simultaneously wrong and right at the same time, and you can never lose an argument. Well, that's the uh, you uh, can't Schrodinger's win. cat theory, I suppose. Just convoluted the law just of course. a little bit. No, I had, uh, I had a class on uh, quantum mechanics, and it was the first test where I literally looked at every single question on the final exam, had no idea. I what. mean, isn't that the point? <laughs> yes. I mean, quantum mechanics is, uh, um, it's so 90s. Uh, single point theory is, is really where they're going, and plus the quantum entanglement. Um, well, the, the Large Hadron Collider at, at CERN has uh, opened up and, yes. and has uh, thrown us into bizarro world universe. And that, that was recently in the last two or three years that they made some big breaks on that, wasn't it? Yes, they did. They found the God particle. That's right. Mm-hmm. I do recall that. Well, a lot of people, including your brother, think that they literally split the line. Like we're in some alternate It's always alternate a possibility. You never know. I mean, because now the theory is we're, we're living in a simulation. I miss that old 60s idea that when you shrunk down to the size of an atom, that was just its own universe that the Fantastic Four could fight in. Well, that's also that was the fun one. That's possibly true, you know, because what if, you know, our entire universe is literally the atom of one giant uh, being? Like the end of The Grinch with Jim Carrey when it was just in a <laughs> snow globe. Or the, uh, <laughs> the discussion in Animal House. Oh, even better. <laughs> Tell there's a little age range here. That's right. Yeah, no, I told him that he had to get you to go down some rabbit holes with him because he liked that kind of stuff. And of course. You knew all that kind of stuff. Yes. Right? So, Seems like we were quite capable of doing so pretty and, uh, quickly. And I wish Brian had joined us sooner because I was about to wrap us up so I can head to the cellar where all of you are welcome to come because at 6.30 we start trivia uh, and it's working on 6. So i got to get there and set up. But that is the cellar located here in Covington, Tennessee. Um, but I do want to thank Brian. One, I want to thank you for joining our team. Like, Absolutely. Actually, I think you and I have a lot more in common now that we've had a second to talk yes. than we thought we did. Um, but, you know, uh, you're already valuable, but I think you'll do nothing but grow in value. And hopefully we do the same thing for you. Hopefully that you feel Absolutely. like you have a home here and uh, want to be with us, except maybe Brian, the other Brian. Yeah. No, Brian's getting along. Quit giving my cell phone out to people, man. And somebody <laughs> texted today and he said, Brian gave me your number. And then I got blamed. <laughs> no, I didn't. I knew it wasn't you. I knew it was him, but... <laughs> I very rarely, if ever, give out. Well, numbers. either way, I don't respond, so it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, it was like they said, Brian gave me your number. It's not necessarily true, though. <laughs> anyway, one of these days you're gonna you're gonna learn that just because Mr. Huffman said X, Mr. Huffman said Y, does not mean Mr. Huffman. Does not yeah. mean that <laughs> Mr. Huffman said X or number. Y. They ha- actually messaged me, so they had it. Is it now a good time to admit that I write a cell phone number on $2 bills and just leave them laying around town? Sure, why not? That's fine. I'll take the money. Good luck finding them. Call me and give it to me. It's fine. There's seven (laughs) left. Anyway. Well, thank you, Brian, for being on. Thank you guys for watching this long. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe across social media and podcast platforms. You saw the Covington Comic Con is coming August 20th and 21st. Returning tickets are now available at Huffman Mason Law Firm, and then they will be available next week at the law firm and at Theo and Rose. Uh, you can pay $10 for one day or $15 and go both days. There's also a bunch of free events, so make sure you check out CovingtonComicCon.com or the Facebook page. We want to thank Michelle Allen, our longtime sponsor with Cry Like Realty. If you need anything in the, in the realm of real estate, she'll be glad to help you out. And, of course, Mason's High Octane Martial Arts, located in Covington, Tennessee, since 1993. 
Uh, we got a new location going to another location in a, in a minute. Now, actually, I'm proud. I'm proud that we've been doing it that long and been open. And look, this is a great little kicky guy. Look it's at that. It's almost 30 years, Jerry. And then Mason. Oh, and then the seller. You know about that. 6.30 today. I'll be there for trivia. Friday, we have live music. We got this no peak envelope thing coming up. So make sure you come check us out. Really good food. And then, of course, Masonite Digital Marketing will be glad to help you with your online presence, social media, websites, etc. So we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Who we got next Tuesday, Josh? Uh, next Tuesday is Mr. Kenneth Dunn, who's one of our sponsors for Kevin DeCalicon. Sweet. Yeah, he does art and stuff, right? Yep, yep that's uh, right. Yeah, so uh, anyway, hopefully we'll see you guys then. Until then, keep kicking. Thanks for watching guys. Just remember that this is not legal advice or investment advice or business advice. This is for fun and entertainment purposes only.